One of them is right wing. One of them is left wing. And uh, they're, they're sort of interesting figures to oppose against each other in that way. But I think they're also both kind of getting to be older men uh, that represent an era of media that is kind of passing. Hello and welcome to the More Freedom Foundation podcast, helping us, guide us and make us understand the world of politics as much as we can in our mortal coils is Robert Morris. Oh, I like that. As, as much as we can in our mortal coils. That, that is quite, uh, that, that's quite, uh, it's quite ambitious, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do. We'll see what we can do. How have you been this week? Uh, I'm I'm pretty good. No no real complaints. Uh, I do have to say I, I've sort of been so caught up with stuff that I haven't done anything to mark this milestone. But uh, as of this week, more or less, uh, or last week, I will have been doing this full time for ten years. Congratulations! Which is kind of stunning. It is. Um, I it, it's a lot of time. Uh, it's a big chunk of my life. I suppose almost a quarter of it that I've been doing just this, just trying to understand the world. And uh, it's, I, it sort of crept up on me. I feel like I should have done more to prepare. But, That's because uh, you're working I, so I did hard. Not. And it's just, uh, it's, I, I guess I'm mostly just incredibly grateful uh, that uh, people have tuned in enough uh, to uh, make this uh, continue to be a viable thing. Uh, it is the best job in the world. Um, and I'm grateful to... Uh, the listeners, the patrons, uh, uh, the commenters who've uh, kept this going uh, for a full decade, which is kind of crazy. Was it the blogs that got you started, or what was the first way you dipped your toes into this realm? Well, I had uh, been belabor beleaguering people with my political opinions probably since uh, the age of twenty or so. I, I you know, always was very confirmed in my views, and uh, I think I've talked about how I. Had uh, was actually a big supporter of the Iraq War initially, and that's part of the reason why I, I, I have felt so guilty about that and feel like I'm sort of spending my professional life atoning for it. I had a couple blogs that I don't think anybody ever read, my guest blog at the Hammer of Truth or something like that, but it was really YouTube where I first began to gain any kind of uh, serious audience. And I started the channel back in 2011, um, and then through a couple of videos, uh, managed to get enough momentum. And in 2014, where I was like, well, why don't I try to do this full time? And uh, it was, uh, it has, it has never been a smashing success rate, but it's always been, uh, there's always been enough interest uh, and just enough uh, uh, success to uh, keep me going. And I'm frankly, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Honestly, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, uh, we'll perhaps be talking about uh, today um, uh, some media personalities that have yes. been a much bigger success and how that has uh, occasionally uh, sort of stopped them from what they're doing. I, when, I do wonder, uh, not looking specifically at the, the two personalities we're talking about today, but looking at a lot of YouTube channels. A lot of YouTube channels get quick success and they're not here anymore. Um, so it, perhaps it's uh, perhaps it's the... The lack of outsized success that has kept going. Or you going. can do what uh, Simon Kistler seems to do, which is once it sort of reaches a success and dives off, he just starts a new channel and does this, repeats the process. Oh, really? Uh, that's a, that's an interesting approach. Well, uh, that that is an experiment I haven't had to to, to make, uh, Rory, because while there's You're been not going to start the Less Freedom Foundation, are you? <laughs> no, no. Well, we do have our second YouTube channel, Even More Freedom, where uh, you can 
view all of uh, these podcast episodes um, in a different format if folks are interested. Uh, but uh, no, I, I am, have yet to reach the uh, level of runaway success where I, I decide to come up with a new channel. Um, but uh, one of these, one of these days, Ray. One of these days. Maybe for the twentieth anniversary. Who's to say? Who's to say? <laughs> Who's so, to say? Uh, since we're talking about your career in politics, are there any other people you'd like to talk about other than yourself? I thought it'd be interesting and uh, to do a little bit of media criticism, uh, specifically through the biographies of two uh, very different but strangely interweaved uh, men who sort of say a lot about the way that politics has been delivered in the United States over the past decade, uh, past couple decades. And I think kind of illustrate uh, sort of some dead ends that we're at, uh, that we are, are currently spinning around in, uh, in U.S. media. Um, and today I want to talk about Tucker Carlson and John Stewart. Uh, these are figures that are sort of billed as being from different, you know, sort of polar enemies. They're sort of, one of them is right wing, one of them is left wing. And uh, they're, they're sort of... Uh, interesting figures to oppose against each other in that way. But I think they're also both kind of getting to be older men uh, that represent an era of media that is kind of passing. Jon Stewart probably had his heyday during the Bush administration between 2000 and 2008. Uh, truly just an internationally recognized figure. He still is, um, is I think beloved, uh, not just in the United States, but internationally. Um, you could probably uh, attest to that um, uh, more. Um, he sort of m became most famous for opposing some aspects of the George W. Bush administration. Um, Tucker Carlson uh, reached his greatest uh, notoriety and greatest success during the Trump administration, uh, hosting the main primetime anchor seat uh, in uh, on Fox News and became famous uh, both for guiding and advising uh, the sitting president at the time, Donald Trump, and also for clashing with his corporate masters at Fox News to a degree, uh, to the point that he ended up getting uh, ousted. Well, for an unknown reason, do, did we ever find out why he was ousted? Or I think there's a range. I, I've got my opinions. I think there's a range of other opinions. I think specifically what was used to uh, turf him out was the aftermath of Fox News's more general policy of kind of flirting with lies about the 2020 election. With um, the, um, the, yeah, the uh, lying about the uh, polling machines or the, the voting machines, which cost Fox like just shy of a billion, 700 million that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it turns out it's funny because there's very little. Uh, the United States compared to the United Kingdom has very, very weak uh, defamation laws. We are well, I think pretty. You can, you can argue that the, the laws in the UK might be too strong. It's quite there's it seems to be a business of suing people. I think is it a Brad Pitt um, went to England to sue a newspaper for defamation. So there seems to be a weird business of, you know, making money out of suing newspapers. While you can say a lot more, you have a lot more freedom of speech in America, but I guess there is a limit to it. Exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a free speech fundamentalist. Uh, I don't believe that the uh, journalistic uh, institutions should be allowed to outright lie, but I, I, I 
do think that the U.S. does a better job with the with the First Amendment protections of free speech. Than... But I think this is because it was a, a corporate interest. They were lying about a product and how it worked and functioned. I think it's different if you're specifically criticizing one individual. Uh, I, I think that's very true, Marie. I think the reason why this case against Fox News was so successful is because, uh, well, it's very complicated and time-consuming to uh, go after an entity for defamation uh, in the United States. Uh, so a an individual, a political figure, certainly a private individual, usually just won't bother. Uh, what Fox News was stupid enough to do was claim or, or at least provide platforms for claims that they knew to be fraudulent about corporations, as you said, about companies that had the money and the interest in making damn sure uh, that their 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 good name be protected. But it also uh, so, kind of undermines the fundamental aspects of a democracy. You're basically saying your votes don't count now because of X, Y, Z. Oh, there's no question that, that uh, Fox News, any person on Fox News, uh, Tucker Carlson's to the extent that he did it, uh, undermining the 2020 election is is incredibly shameful. Um, but I don't know that that's exactly why Tucker Carlson was fired um, okay. in 2023. I think that was the excuse. I think that it, it was something that had been he had been cruising for for a while uh, in 2020. Was he not massively popular on Fox? He was massively popular. I can testify this to this in my own family. Uh, I have family members who are big, big Tucker Carlson fans, or at least were. He had incredible influence. I think he let that influence go to his head. Uh, I think he forgot who he was working for. Um, he was working for Rupert Murdoch, uh, not for uh, Donald Trump. And I think in 2023, when Tucker Carlson was fired, the people at Fox News or its in its corporate offices were still stupid enough to believe that anybody other than Donald Trump was going to be the presidential nominee for the Republicans. But all of this is this is getting a little a little far into the story. I think a more interesting place to start, or perhaps we can even talk about the biographies of these two men, which are very interesting, uh, John Stewart and Tucker Carlson. But I think probably the most interesting place to start is really a formative, uh, I think probably every 40-something plus listening to this podcast is going to be aware of how Jon Stewart killed uh, Tucker Carlson's show back in 2004. This is going way, 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 way back, but this was a huge, I mean, I watched this video online, I, and it couldn't have been on YouTube. Because I think YouTube was founded in 2006. There was, the there's clip somehow... I got is an incredibly old clip on YouTube. It's hard to believe that there's a clip on YouTube that's 18 years old. Yep, 18 <laughs> years old. So that's 2006. Uh, I started watching that to that that 18-year-old clip, uh, Rui, when I reviewed it uh, for this. But actually, there's a newer one that's in much much better shape. It's a, that it's not quite as it's a, it's an AI um, upscaled one, so it still looks. Ah. It's got its own jankiness. So I yeah. prefer the original because it's just less distracting. Yeah, yeah the uh, 20... Uh, so yeah, that makes sense. In 18 years ago, uh, still in 2006, that that Jon Stewart appearance on... Uh, this is important. Tucker Carlson's show on CNN back in 2004 called Crossfire uh, was still a current enough thing in popular culture that it was one of the first things that would have been uploaded to YouTube. But this was an October 2004 appearance. Uh, Jon Stewart was probably, if not at the peak, was at one of the heights of his 
international fame, his his respect in um, uh, in the United States. Uh, I think the unironically in the middle of the 20th century, we had television news anchors that were renowned as sort of, you know, really like, you know, sort of the nation's uncle or the most trusted name in news or Walter Cronkite is a, a name that comes to mind, uh, a guy who uh, for one of the major networks was the, the newsreader. And, and whenever anybody talks about the Kennedy assassination, you talk about Walter Cronkite's response to that and how he handled that and how he 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 sort of brought the nation through this this horrible thing. And John Stewart uh, became that uh, to the extent that it was possible, because already by the early 2000s, we had a much more disparate, uh, fractured culture than we did in the 1960s. Um, but he managed to uh, take The Daily Show, which was a kind of jokey late night talk show hosted by a guy named Craig Kilborn. I remember watching The Daily Show with Craig Kilborn. Was, yeah, I suppose I probably would have been in college uh, when that was happening. And John Stewart started hosting The Daily Show, and his delivery, his approach, his approach to satire, his version of comedy made him enough of a um, nationally respected figure that already by 2001, when I think of the aftermath of 9-11 and the pop cultural responses to that, uh, interestingly, I think of uh, the the 9-11 edition of The Onion, uh, which is still available online and I think is absolutely worth uh, viewing. I think it came out later that week or perhaps it was the next week. Uh, the Onion uh, actually used to be a print edition, so they put out a print edition and an online edition, and that is possibly one of the most uh, brilliant and uh, scabrous and frankly prophetic um, pieces of media in the aftermath of 9-11. But other than that, uh, the 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 response that sticks with me the most, and I think with certainly with a lot of people of my generation and with other or possibly other generations, is nine uh, is John Stewart's monologue uh, when The Daily Show returned. I think a couple weeks uh, after nine eleven, and um, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. Uh, I have didn't rewatch that. I don't know how that uh, holds up. Um, there's no other way really to start the show than than to ask. Uh, you at home, the question that, that we asked the audience here tonight and that we've asked uh, everybody that we know here in New York uh, since uh, uh, September 11th, and that is, are you okay? But by 2004, John Stewart was a tremendously respected figure. Um, I think when he sort of lost his way was probably when Barack Obama was elected and he sort of had to start reckoning with, oh, how do I deal with a president who I don't completely, you know, you know, find to be this absurdist travesty. But uh, so in 2004, he was sort of top of the world, what have you, and he goes on Crossfire. Now, Crossfire, it was in sort of a CNN establishment going back decades, I believe. Okay. I think it was actually William F. Buckley's Is the uh, idea that you have program. two interviewers attacking you? It seemed quite a strange concept. By the name, I thought it would be, you know, two people of opposite sides, you know, debating with each other. And you might have a television host as more like a referee. But it, it seemed to be they were both ganging up on Stuart, but he was definitely fit for them. I think that the uh, the crossfire, the general idea was just that it'd be more back and forth. Uh, I watched the, uh, I didn't watch the entire episode, I zoomed through bits of it. But uh, it was, you know, the John Stewart clip that became so immortal was just the interview portion of this. Um, you know, the, the show started out with, uh, as Stewart 
memorably described them, partisan hacks for, for the left or the right, providing their sort of canned responses to the news events of the day. And then uh, the way they introduced it, I think the John Stewart clip was different from what they normally did. But it's, it's okay. meant to be sort of a, de- a debate show presenting left and right. So both Democrat and Republican? Views, yes. And what was fascinating about Stewart's uh, appearance, and clearly uh, it seemed to be surprising to both Tucker Carlson and Paul Begala, Begala, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, um, who were Paul Begala, perhaps, um, the the Democratic-oriented guy, was that they were sort of expecting him to come on and do some jokes and talk about nude pictures of the Supreme Court or something. Um, but uh, instead, he just delivered this... Uh, Jeremiah, this this really scathing appraisal of cable news circa 2004 and specifically what they were doing. It's not so much that it's bad as it's hurting America. Well, they were criticizing him for not being, you know, holding politicians to account enough. And he was pointing out that I'm on the comedy channel. He's on Comedy Central. He says mm-hmm. that... Uh, the show before mine has like it's a puppet show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I remember like, that. Uh, well, you're on re- you're on CNN. You're on the proper news. You're supposed to be asking the proper questions, and yet I seem to be equal to or better than you at doing that. Is it when I was in college? Things like uh, there, there was a company called TiVo. Like the idea that you could record something and and watch it later was actually quite new. Um, so I, I, when I was waiting to watch The Daily Show, as I think I often did back in college, I would, I would sit there and watch, I think it was called Crank Yankers, which was, yeah, it was puppets making uh, f- uh, prank phone calls. Uh, that, that, is, that is something that really existed. I think it is a little bit disingenuous to, uh, on Stewart's part, he really was like one of the most trusted names in news. And he might have been a little too easy on John Kerry. So, are you saying interviews. something that Tucker said in this is basically he's very anti-Bush at this point, and he's like, "Well, what if uh, a Democrat comes in? Are you going to be equally as um, vehement against them? Like, is that basically what happened? Obama gets in, and he basically doesn't attack as much as he should." Oh, I don't. I you know, I as I think is part of the issue here um, by two thousand eight. Uh, 9, 10, I, and probably most people of my generation, weren't really watching The Daily Show anymore um, because we were getting our news, uh, you know, even by that point, we were getting our news from blogs, we were getting our news from Twitter. Um, actually, I wasn't much of a Twitter consumer at that point, but I was mostly reading my news online um, or I, I just wasn't going to, I wasn't going to be a home or awake at uh, 10 or 11 or whatever it was The Daily Show aired back then. Not even with TiVo? Yes. So if something particularly important or particularly um, worthwhile uh, happened or particularly funny happened on The Daily Show, then yes, I'd see clips of it on Facebook the next day or something along those lines. It wasn't something, it's sort of the way that I view Saturday Night Live right now. If there's a particularly good sketch, I'll see it on Twitter. Um, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna actually try and sit down and consume this, this sort yeah, of... Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. But, uh, but, but I, I do want to just put, like, I went back and watched this 2004 Crossfire thing and I would highly recommend people do that because it's, it's interesting because it, he really did derail Tucker Carlson's career at that point. Well, one of the comments I've seen was, uh, this is Tucker Carlson's, um, uh, villainous origin story. 
I think that's well. I mean, let's going let's going back to Tucker Carlson's uh, origins. <laughs> he's he's got plenty of uh, villainous. Uh, just comparing the two men, it, it is interesting. Like John Stewart is significantly older. Um, I didn't quite realize this. Uh, John Stewart is sixty one, while Tucker Carlson, uh, as of recording, is uh, fifty four. Indeed. So that would make that would actually make John Stewart kind of a late boomer. Uh, I think he's technically a baby boomer. Is it 45, 65 is, is baby boomers? So Carlson will be a Generation X? Yes, and Tucker is extremely Generation X. Uh, the, the I think they pointed out that actually the most fervent Trump supporters tend to be Gen Xers because, you know, older people remember the America that, that Trump pretends to love so much um, and, and aren't necessarily as into it and younger people don't don't love Trump much. But uh, it, it is kind of fitting that Tucker Carlson, this this most uh, prominent of Trumpers, uh, is a, a Generation Xer. Um, Tucker Carlson is very West Coast. Um, yeah, I, born, I wouldn't expect him to be born in San Francisco. Uh, born, well, there's there's plenty there's plenty of rich white people in San Francisco. Oh yeah, Francisco. yeah. He's not your yeah, stereotype. Yeah. Uh, One thing I sort of I considered is his mother was like a, a free spirited art artist who left when he was about seven to go to France. Do you think that sort of meant he kind of wasn't so keen on liberal arty types? Oh, I'm sure that, that that's part of it. But uh, I think probably mostly the money. Um, it's uh... Yeah, they seemed he, <laughs> his father seemed to marry well. Yes. Campbell's it, 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 soup it. money. Uh, or is it the Swanson family? Yeah, There's a I, bit I of think... everything. There's a lot of money going about. <laughs> there is a lot of money swimming around uh, in Tucker Carlson's uh, history, uh, which uh, sort of made his... Oh, just a comparison to John Stewart, I don't think he had a lot of money in his life. I think he was uh, fairly working class, worked a lot of normal jobs, and that life wasn't the easiest for John Stewart. Well, I think John Stewart was the, the children of immigrants. I think those migrants did, did very well. Um, eventually, uh, it, it, it sounds like. But like he worked as a busboy and all sorts. He seemed to have uh, uh, much more contact with normal people when I think Carlson yes, yes. read about normal people. Yes. It, well, it's interesting that in 2004, uh, these guys were both hosting prominent cable platforms. Um, in 2004, I suppose, yeah, Tucker would have been 34 and he would have been hosting this uh since 2001 so since the age of you know 31 32 he was anchoring a a very prominent television show and still dressed like a child he's it's a street he's a strange look yes the bow tie <laughs> tucker uh tucker did i think george did george will used to do this as well it was sort of a way to signify create your brand or whatnot okay. and tucker carlson had that bow tie that's what he wore not i believe on every episode of crossfire to sort of distinguish himself and make himself more of a more of a character more of a caricature i think it is interesting that in 2004 this guy was you know barely out of his 20s and was already a massive success john stewart was a massive success a much larger success in his early 40s after spending decades trying to make that happen it, it does appear like he had made well he did get a what is it a psychology degree and he basically it seemed to be that he was just naturally funny and sort of thought, well, I'll go to New York and see if I can make it. Well, yeah. And I, I think he'd been, he he worked, you know, in the trenches of comedy since the mid 80s. There's a thing in the UK, I think it's um, the graft. You're supposed to sort of tour Britain for maybe a good five years and stuff. So the likes of 
Ricky Gervais aren't liked because they never went through this. Ah, interesting. So I would say uh, John Stewart definitely has gone through the, the you know your classic comedy graft, going to you know normal clubs and working your way up into television. And John Stewart, I think, is from New Jersey, which is largely a suburb of New York City. Um, and his, uh, I think he's probably, probably born in New York city. If he was born in the sixties to parents who then moved out to the suburbs or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. New York city. But he really did, you know, work his way up. And he had, I remember in the mid nineties, he had a television show that I liked. It's called the John Stewart show on MTV. I can't remember anything other than that. I liked it. Um, but it was sort of a continue, you know, he'd sort of, he'd get to a point and then he'd fall back and then he'd get to a point and then he'd fall back and he finally freaking made it. Um, and it is kind of interesting that that all Tucker well, Carlson had they, to do. Apparently with that show, did they move the time slot? They tried to make it like uh, compete with all the other ones and it just didn't quite have it. And then they were like, you know, cancel it when it, they would have been happier in a better slot. I think that's entirely possible. And and back in the 90s, that was very important. Very you important. Didn't, <laughs> you didn't see the show the next morning if you if you wanted to to uh, uh, to watch your Jon Stewart and your Conan O'Brien or whatever. You, you, you picked one. And didn't he lose out to Conan as well? Um, I think I saw something about that. But, but regardless, this was a guy. Did well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they've they've done okay. Uh, but this was a guy who who'd sort of really worked his way up. Whereas all Tucker Carlson had to do was go and you know get jobs from presumably uh, his friends funding. You know, but his... also wasn't he not good enough to get to his prestigious Trinity University, not the one in Ireland, the other one. Um, apparently he was just dating the headmaster at the time and got in that way. Oh, I don't, I don't know about that. I thought he was dating the head. I think he ended up marrying the head, the headmaster's daughter at his high school or something. Okay. Is that what you're talking about? I, I don't, I don't know anything about he that. He is all connections and money. Yes. And yes. talent is generally not in the top 10. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I think he, uh, he's got, he's had an incredible amount of privilege it seems like in the 90s, he mostly just worked for like the Heritage Foundation and other right-wing journalistic. Well, I think the joke was his dad was like, be a journalist, they'll take anybody. Yes, indeed, indeed. Um, but yeah, he worked for a bunch of, and this is sadly how it still can, can sometimes work today. He just worked for a bunch of right-wing sort of uh, not, you know, funded, not because they were real journalistic orientations, but just because they were. They they said nice things for right wing people, um, and he was able. I think this is where the real nepple babies go. Yes, exactly. Um, so he was able to wal- just waltz from that into a position at CNN, um, hosting shows. He has a lot to thank uh, O.J. Simpson. Really, I he was working at like some station, and everybody was out, and the woman running it was like, "Oh, I need someone that's like an O.J. Simpson expert on this trial." And his, he said, he's like, I should have said no, but for some reason I just lied and said I knew lots of stuff. And that was his first time on TV. Well, no, O.J. Simpson, I remember that was, I believe, my freshman year in high school. So that would have been 94, 95. Um, so if you haven't seen it, I would encourage, and if even if you have seen it, and it's been a decade or two, going back and watching that 20-year-old clip on CNN is is quite... It's quite illuminating, and it's honestly, it's a little tragic. Uh, it's extraordinary. But that era is gone? Well, it's just extraordinary how young um, both of them look, specifically Tucker Carlson. He's he's 31 or 32, uh, maybe 35, I don't know, in that clip, and he ju- it's, it's it's fascinating. John Stewart looks very young himself. Um, and it's interesting because they're both battling sort of different sides of... I believe something that, that's just lost, which is just the idea that cable news could provide 
something uh, positive to our discourse. And I just don't believe that it has, frankly. And I think both of these men have, in their subsequent careers, have uh, proved that in different ways, frankly. Basically, John, John Stewart's appearance on Crossfire got Crossfire canceled. This, you're doing theater when you should be doing debate. This had been a CNN mainstay for decades, and in the cancellation message or, or press release uh, from the CNN guy uh, just three to six months later, he mentioned specifically John Stewart coming on and saying, yeah, actually, this probably isn't that helpful. Tucker Carlson seems to have spent a couple of years in the wilderness. Hilariously, um, he worked for both uh, PBS, the public broadcasting uh, service, PBS public broadcasting system, I guess that what it is, MSNBC, which is kind of, uh, are both kind of interesting places. Well, MSNBC is is now, it wasn't really at the time, is, is sort of, uh, and actually I think they're trying to get away from it now, um, but is sort of the more Democratic Party coded uh, of the cable news channels in the United States. Uh, and it's just kind of fascinating to see this the, this right wing firebrand spent the years between 2004 and 2008 working for PBS and MSNBC, which is kind of one thing I always find is I just don't quite often those newscasters have to be like top tier, especially in America because there's so much local. It's like if you're not a star materialist, like go to local. And I just don't think he ever had that sort of extra bit to stay in those places. Although he did stay at CNN, what five years? Well, he stayed at CNN for five years. He stayed at Fox News. I mean, I don't think we can really. Oh yeah, yeah. Fox News was because he's. It was he's not really doing the news though at Fox. It's more like one big long opinion rant. Of course, uh, but that's really all that. It's almost like something out of the the TV or the film network, but like they've managed to sort of tame him. <laughs> I mean, honestly, Rory, like my my take is that it's yes fox news is obviously more base more uh more crappy more uh opinion trash but most cable news that's all that most cable news is and i think one of the i think i think john stewart might actually have come to believe this is that despite how fresh and how new and that's kind of why I, I i come back to this crossfire thing is in 2004 John Stewart really was this, the, despite being, you know, almost a full decade older than Tucker Carlson, he was the, the, the voice of the brash, new, this is, you know, where we're going to be, we're going to, you know, get away from being super respectful and we're going to tell it like it is and da 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 da. And I, I think John Stewart definitely won that conversation to the extent we're not just where he uh, inspired an endless list of uh, John Stewart clones from John Oliver to Stephen Colbert to Samantha Bee to Hassan Minaj to that, 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 that. Um, it was also, I think, his sort of like, let's be iconoclastic, let's um, let's sort of throw out the, 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 the propriety and stop being so respectful. Um, honestly, kind of inspired a lot of the crap we see on Fox News. A lot of the, the more impassioned and sometimes diluted stuff that we see. I, I think the sad thing is Jon Stewart went on a crossbar in 2004 to be like, um, I, I need you guys to be more, take your job more seriously and be more, um, deal with issues more honestly. You're right now you're helping the politicians and the, 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 the corporations and we're left out Wait, there to mow our lawns. You just said we're too rough on them when they make mistakes. No, 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 you're not too rough on them. You are part of their strategies. Your partisan, um, what do you call it, hacks. 
they took the opposite lesson from John Stewart's success and were just like, let's just keep doing what we were already doing, but maybe be a little more, a little more partisan and a little less respectful. I kind of feel like John Stewart himself might have seen just how, you know, his own... Well, because John Stewart feels very like, it's almost like he's come through it and he feels haggard while at the time Tucker Carlson's Tucker Carlson is still quite uh, fresh-eyed or, you know, he's still very optimistic for the medium and he still feels like it's it's something to be proud of while John's like, you know, I've been through it, I've seen you a lot and it's all just horrendous. Well, that's interesting because I uh, saw, so I remember seeing this in 2004 and my view was that even though, uh, yes, John Stewart had that haggard sort of cool to him, to him or what have you, that he was the insurgent. He was he was speaking on behalf of, uh, yes, the American people, but also youth, you know, just saying like, oh, man, like enough of this, enough of this canned political BS. Let's talk about reality and let's be da 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 da. It's hard not from this perspective. So it's hard not to look back on that a little mournfully because I, I don't feel like Jon Stewart really met. I probably, uh, by his own standards, probably didn't really meet his um, his goals or or his approach. And uh, as I think you had mentioned, I didn't watch the clip, but he's uh, he's sort of talking in his triumphant return to the Daily Show over the past couple of weeks. Um, he's been sort of talking about how television is dead. So he had left for a number of years, hasn't he? And he's only come back in the past what week or two. Yeah. So I guess so. I guess well, let's talk about. Um, so we, we've got Tucker Carlson in the in the wilderness in the 2000s, and this is John Stewart's um, incredible, uh, uh, you know, is it apotheosis is that term, or just the incredible uh, peak and success. Uh, he gets onto this show in 1999, instantly makes it a bigger a bigger deal than it was under uh, Craig Kilborn. Uh, George W. Bush is elected. Uh, under circumstances that uh, half the country was quite disturbed by, it's sort of a uh, that was a a much more seriously, frankly, disputed election than the uh, 2020 election was. The uh, vote counting went on for weeks, um, and John Stewart became sort of the voice, or at least the the voice of the younger end of folks who were disturbed by that, um, and also was just really really funny. Um, and as, you know, uh, managed to appeal to, a, a, I think, uh, an array of people outside of his uh, political uh, orientation in the aftermath of 9-11, was on the earlier side of seeing just how terribly uh, George W. Bush had mismanaged everything. And throughout the, the Bush administration, and I'd imagine even worse, uh, the, the Crossfire uh, interview happened before uh, George W. Bush won re-election against John Kerry. Um, but uh, I would imagine that even in that second term, as George W. Bush just went from catastrophe to catastrophe, you know, Iraq got worse, Afghanistan got worse, the 2008 financial crisis, the housing crisis, John Stewart just had incredible uh, material to work with. And then in 2008, uh, Barack Obama won. And I think that John Stewart got a little bit lost. I think that uh, John Stewart continued to host The Daily Show, continued to be a beloved uh, part of the furniture from 2008 to 2015. But what I recall souring myself on The uh, Daily Show, uh, especially as I started getting more and more invested in actually what was going on with foreign policy, what was actually going on with 
the way that the system was working in the United States uh, was I'm just like, what J- John Stewart is just the Fox News show. Um, he was running, you know, The Daily Show was a, a, a late night comedy show on Comedy Central that during the Obama years seemed to be exclusively focused on what Fox News was doing. Um, and, and of course, uh, that's worthwhile. So kind of basically, how dare you criticize Obama? Um, kind of that sort of thing. Well, the Fox news is such a, uh, have you ever sat down and watched much Fox news or just clips? Just clips. And I've watched the documentary without Fox, but it, it can be grinding. I find it hard to watch yeah, for a long it, time. It, it is very difficult to watch. And the thing is those clips are bad that, you know, we see the worst, the most egregious stuff. But really, just its its general worldview portrayed is just infuriating nonsense. So it, it wasn't just protecting Obama, though I think it's fair to describe uh, a, a lot of what The Daily Show was up to, uh, or at least perhaps sometimes more subtly, sometimes more obviously. A lot of what it was up to was sort of protecting Obama. But it was also, there's, there's just so much egregious nonsense on Fox News that you don't ever have to mention you didn't ever even have to mention President Obama or what he was doing to find stuff that was that was terrible, and you know it was, and I I kind of I kind of wonder actually because John Stewart um, chose to leave in 2015, um, he did not I mean he was there was some conflict in his Wikipedia uh, about how much he was being paid, uh, but it was tens of millions or at least a ten of millions. He was doing well. He was doing very well. And then Trevor Noah replaced him. He was very good. I remember seeing a lot of clips from him. I like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Trevor Noah did a great job. But um, I think Stewart basically, perhaps he he identified in himself that uh, he was kind of becoming the exactly the sort of partisan hack that he had accused uh, Tucker Carlson of, and Paul Begela of being uh, back in 2004. But he seems to have spent a lot of time with the 9-11 first responders uh, charity or organization. Well, that's something that's kind of interesting about um, about John Stewart is that he is nominally quite left-wing. Um, uh, there's, I think some, you know, he described himself as a socialist, you know, at least 20 years ago anyway. Um, and... But the truth is that that he used, and I think this was one of the great disappointments of John Stewart, is that he had this immense, immense political power, um, undeniable political power. And what was what was interesting about him is that he he did have a freer range to comment because it was comedy; it wasn't news. He wasn't, you know, he was he was like Walter Cronkite in the mid twentieth century, who was incredibly, incredibly trusted. But he was also free to, he would not be abusing that trust by advocating heavily for political situations that he, that he wanted to change or make different. And I think this is entirely, you know, perhaps this is unfair to him. Perhaps he, he, he was just exhibiting proper respect for, you know, for the position of trust that he was put into. But it really seems like John Stewart didn't do anything politically other than, you know, occasionally endorse a Democrat, though I'm not sure he even did that particularly fervently, come out for 9-11 first responders. And good for him. Uh, you know, good for, you know, the, obviously the, the, uh, in the system we have now, the 9-11 first responders uh, have been abused. I think he's also done good, great stuff about for the Veterans Affairs Administration. But it is interesting that this guy who is who's portrayed by a lot of people as 
uh, I think there's d- a decade or decades now of John Stewart should run for president, uh, which I think he, he quite rightly has never had any interest in. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it is, it's frankly, it's a little disappointing that with all of the political um, weight that he has, he's just done nothing with it. Just basically done the Daily Show? <laughs> yeah, he basically, well, so 2010 is, is uh, an interesting uh, thing. So he, as part of his, uh, gee, what do I do now that uh, somebody I kind of like is the president, um, he sort of feuded a lot with Glenn Beck, who is a largely forgotten conservative media figure. Uh, though when we might talk, we'll, we'll, we'll caveat that, talk about that in a bit. Uh, apparently, Glenn Beck is watched by as many people as he ever was. Uh, he's just not part of the, the the sort of mainstream media ecosystem. Uh, but anyway, he's a name that's somewhat forgotten since he got canned uh, from Fox News. But back in uh, 2010, he did a massive, you know, right wing coded rally uh, in Washington D.C. I don't remember any of the details of it. And John Stewart and uh, Stephen Colbert put together their own sort of rally type stunt, uh, a rally to restore sanity. And this took place in, I believe, October of 2010, um, right before uh, the 2010 uh, midterm elections where Obama was completely wiped out, lost his Senate and House majorities uh, that he had gotten in 2008. Um, is really seen by a lot. I think Samantha Bee used to harp on this a lot, actually. Uh, one of the uh, John Stewart successors. Uh, 2010 was was the disaster uh, for the Democratic Party um, that led the Republicans uh, to be, I believe, in power pretty much until uh, Donald Trump's midterm ele- uh, elections, uh, when Democrats managed to uh, scrape back uh, some some power in the House and Senate. Um, so really disastrous, uh, not just in the national legislature, but but more broadly. And it was, I think, there. John Stewart got criticism from a lot of people. Um, I think that, you know, in response to Glenn Beck's sort of, oh, we're losing our country, this is crazy, da da da. Um, you know, it was the rally to restore sanity, which is honestly kind of like a premonition of Hillary Clinton's losing pitch in 2016, which is like, America's already great. Everything's fine. And unfortunately, I think uh, John Stewart, and perhaps this has something to do with why he retired in 2015, right before 2016, and having to make the case uh, for the, you know, uh, for the third time, you know, 2012, 2006, uh, wait, so, you know, yeah, in two, well, I guess in 2012, you know, he would have been trying to make the case for Obama. And then in 2016, to look at the United States in 2016 that had not recovered from the financial crisis, that had really, really deep-seated problems that the Democratic Party was really rooted in. And uh, I think perhaps by 2015, he just couldn't justify to himself, oh, I'm going to do the yay, America's already great, or da I mean, who knows if he'd known that Trump was the nominee, perhaps he would have wanted to uh, uh, stick it out. So in 2010, you have sort of Democratic partisans who are like, well, why didn't you make a better pitch for Obama and the Democratic Party? Um, And then there were leftists who were like, well, why didn't you talk more about how screwed up everything is? Um, And instead, it was just this sort of milk toast rally with 215,000 people 
um, that was just a premonition to one of the greatest Republican victories this century, um, electorally. So, yeah, I, I think that um, John Stewart's best years were in opposition to the truly horrific Bush presidency. One of the counterfactuals that I, I think is kind of interesting, and I used to think to myself, but having lived through the Trump years, I'm actually kind of like, mm, maybe not like, gosh darn it, you know, it was just 50,000 votes or something that um, that Hillary Clinton lost by in, in three or four different states. What if, what if Jon Stewart had still been on the air in 2016, you know, like, could, could, could that have made the difference or, or something along those lines? But equally, can't he turn people off? It's one of those things. If he's on the show and he's annoying, he could uh, rally more Trump supporters. <laughs> you know, I, I got to say, as somebody who's latterly become more and more pissed off at Jon Stewart, like, um, he's just really charming. Like he's like I. Well, he's someone I've actually never really bothered with until you know this episode. And I have to say, he is a lot better than I was expecting. But he is just an incredible wit, and he does have a great way of winning you over. Like, definitely watch that video again of him on Crossfire because he's able to just completely disarm and then throw back the attempted insult and then go straight on to the other man. Like he is outstanding. Now this is theater. I mean, it's it's it, obvious. No, no, it, How old are you? Thirty-five. And you wear a bow tie. Yeah, I do. I do. So, I do. so this is. No, no, I know, I know. So you're right. Let me just go. Now, come on. And what? listen, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you're not, you're not a smart guy because those are not easy to tie. I could see why he sort of gave up attempting normal jobs because he just seemed to have this <laughs> natural comedy and charisma about him. And I don't doubt, whereas I absolutely do doubt uh, with Tucker Carlson. I, I don't doubt that. Um, uh, John Oliver wants what's best for the country. Like, I, I really do think he does. And I think in his career, John Stewart. Over really, sorry? John Oliver. I'll get it. In post. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, I love <laughs> you it. You said it before. Uh, I kept thinking, is he talking about John Oliver? <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, 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 that, uh, I probably, I may have been talking about John Oliver, might have been talking about John Stewart. Of course, John Oliver got his start on The Daily Show. Steve Carell got his start on The Daily Show. Mm -hmm. uh, Stephen Colbert got his start on well, The Daily Show. These John they may Oliver not be was very... on The Bugle before then. <laughs> oh, it's oh, yeah, a, is a that... lesser known podcast, but it's very good. Oh, huh. didn't know that. Um, but uh, this may not be resonating so much for international audiences, but these are sort of like uh, very significant names in American comedy and American uh, talk shows, even American journalism. Um, John Oliver specifically. Um, uh, but that's sort of the thing about John Stewart's career, at least the past decade of it, is I, I think I do see a man who's honestly reckoning with, I could have done more and I didn't. Um, and, and I think that he's, and I think he's torn in a lot of different directions. Um, I think he is a very establishment figure. I think there is, there are elements that, that, that want, uh, in him that want to do more and and be help push the country in a better direction but i also don't think he he knows how because he's a comedian he's, <laughs> but do you also think he's now sort of too detached from reality himself oh i'm sure um i'm sure uh i think he's probably less detached from reality than say tucker carlson is uh, yeah but i don't think mm -hmm. tucker was ever plugged in no that's no, true that's true um just to, to, to that issue though the format that he pioneered, the model that it's it's still clear with these new episodes of The Daily Show that have been coming out for the past couple of weeks, that he still does better than anybody else does. 
Um, this format, this approach to comedy and this approach to politics specifically was everywhere during the Trump years. Um, not just the the yeah, people like uh, John Oliver, Samantha Bee, uh, Stephen Colbert, who came directly out of The Daily Show, uh, directly out from under John Stewart's wing, but like Seth Meyers, uh, I guess Jimmy Fallon a little less so, but a lot of late night comedies, uh, comics, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, um, sort of taking the, we're all sort of cosplaying John Stewart versus George W. Bush. They were all taking this sort of like, you know, th this, this very jaded, very partisan approach to Donald Trump and how dumb he was and how da 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 da, da. And did it help at all? You know, did it, did it, did it move the needle the slightest bit? Well, I think um, satire can only get you so far. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think it, it, it gets back to this, this, this America was already great. Um, idea, which is this this sort of John Stewart's version of satire is very rooted in a United States, and I believe this to some extent, that where everything is right or could be right if it weren't for these dastardly Republicans. And I think that that, to some extent, was true during the George W. Bush administration. But by 2016, the rot had set in far enough. Things were, were bad enough in this country where that just no longer rang true. That no longer made sense. And I think that's kind of where we get uh, Tucker Carlson's resurrection in, as, a, as a Fox News commentator. He really, I mean, Tucker Carlson, I remember being surprised actually in 2016 to be hearing about Tucker Carlson again. He apparently did finally, um, through print journalism, uh, the, or I guess most probably online journalism written, uh, The Daily Caller was in a, a conservative newspaper he helped fund and found in 2010. Um, he became a Fox News contributor in 2009. And I'd imagine that he finally had to do a, a little bit of scrapping um, and fighting to try to try to get back into the limelight. Because really, yeah, from that 2004 uh, getting knocked into the wilderness by Jon Stewart, it wasn't really until 2016 that he got a show of his own again, 12 years later. Um, and that was to replace uh, Megyn Kelly, uh, who had been a Fox News uh, uh, sort of stalwart for, enough, for a number of years. Uh, Tucker replaced Megyn Kelly, got his own show in 2016, and then in 2017, Bill O'Reilly was canceled and Tucker Carlson became the star of Fox News. Um, and that was, of course, uh, well-timed with the Donald Trump presidency. Obviously, uh, Tucker Carlson is popular because of his flirtations with racism. He is popular because of... I heard was a Daily Stormer, which is a neo-Nazi website, basically said, Tucker Carlson talks about all our talking points, but... The language changed is a bit more presentable for mainstream audiences, something like that. Um, and so I do want to say that, but I'm saying that in the spirit of not just a caveat. It's huge. Uh, the racism, the the just sort of general, uh, I'm an old man who doesn't understand things. Don't you not understand things either? Like uh, very unappealing um, uh, anti-migrant, anti-woman, anti-gay. 
all of that is a key part of Tucker Carlson's appeal as it is part of the appeal of everybody else on Fox News. What is interesting about Tucker Carlson, and I think is part of the reason he got fired from Fox News, is that he also, regret to say this, um, but gets a little closer to some of the realities than Jon Stewart does. I believe, despite Jon Stewart's uh, antagonism, and he did, I, you know, he did an incredible, uh, just this morning, I was, I went and watched an episode of his Apple TV show, um, and uh, on the military industrial complex, and it was perfect. It was like spot on. But then he'll go and do an interview with Hillary Clinton and Condoleezza Rice that's respectful and, and wants to know what they think about the state of the world. Or he'll like have a largely respectful interview with David Petraeus. You know, so you it, want him to go for the jugular with everyone? <laughs> well, but I, I think I want him to be a little cons more consistent in his critique. And I think uh, it's irritating how much of uh, Tucker Carlson's approach to foreign policy has been boiled down to, by himself as well as others, uh, a sort of pro-Putin joke. Um, but he, after massively supporting the Iraq war, but in recent years, he has taken a cue from Donald Trump and he's actually been somewhat honest about how ridiculous U.S. foreign policy is. He has distanced himself from his, as have I, from his former libertarianism and has talked about corporate abuses a little bit more and um, talked about how uh, maybe we shouldn't let businesses run everything around about our country. And there was... Honestly, there were elements uh, of having Tucker Carlson at Fox News, which was always going to be racist and gross anyway, that were occasionally quite thrilling. Um, I think this is overblown, but in 2020, uh, his influence over the president, and I believe to some extent, perhaps his personal intervention uh, through discussions with the president, um, is the reason we didn't go to war with Iran. Um, wasn't it the, they thought basically there was, there was no white South African farmers being attacked, but because mm -hmm. Tucker Carlson was saying that it happened ah. then Donald Trump then repeated it, it was just evidence that that's where he's getting all his information from as opposed to listening to his aides. Oh, well, for sure. I mean, Donald Trump indefensibly, uh, got m most of his news and most of his political and foreign policy guidance from. Uh, Fox News and other media uh, outlets. Uh, no question on that. But at least with Tucker Carlson, like there, there did appear to occasionally be uh, a hand of restraint there. I also recall, I think he was, uh, I also recall reading that Tucker Carlson was kind of a key part of Donald Trump uh, starting to, to the extent that he ever did, starting to take COVID seriously. You know, he wasn't necessarily um, he, you know, he was he was better than Bill O'Reilly, I think, because he was occasionally critical of uh, U.S. foreign policy, occasionally critical, not consistently in any way, occasionally critical of real elite power in the United States, meaning like the fact that uh, we've signed over way too much to corporations. Uh, I think that's why he eventually got fired. Um, uh, and uh, So Tucker Carlson could be responsible for saving a lot of lives? Uh, let's not go overboard. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, yes, it, it's possible. But do you think he and used I, his power better than the likes of John Stewart? Um, well, he used his power less responsibly. I think that uh, uh, John Stewart is unquestionably the better man 
Um, but I think Tucker Carlson perhaps, well, I think honestly, I don't think John Stewart ever had the power that Tucker Carlson had. I don't think John Stewart ever had a president who was going to listen to whatever he said, um, the way Tucker Carlson did. Um, so I don't know. I mean, that's a, it's a great question. It was a very complex question that I wouldn't, I wouldn't dream to, uh, try to put a, uh, put a name to. Um, so really both of these men have, have kind of fallen, fallen from grace, uh, quite not really. I mean, I don't think Tucker, uh, I don't think John Stewart has really fallen from grace, but they've certainly fallen out of their, their periods of peak influence. What's interesting is, is John Stewart's sort of post daily show career. Um, and how strange it is that he's now back at the daily show just one day a week. Um, yeah, he's just doing Mondays. I think Mondays yeah. is enough to put out media. What do you think? Oh, I agree. No, I think that's perfect. I think that's. I think that makes sense. I think he's taking a cue from us, Rory. Yes, this is that's clearly. exactly what he's been doing. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what he's been doing. But he, you know, he he tried. He had an HBO deal where uh, he and a number of talented people uh, developed something for years that didn't come to fruition. Uh, and then he had an Apple deal where he basically did. Uh, it, it's interesting. I, I watched an episode or two preparation for this for the first time, which is which is indicative. Um, that was it. Just seemed uh, like a like a classier, better written uh, last week tonight with John Oliver. Uh, sort of the problem with John Stewart on Apple TV, and I think uh, it was canceled. We don't know much about why this was canceled. The 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 most important uh, the the interpretation that people, including uh, the U.S. Congress, seem to be going with is that uh, based on very little, and I think John Stewart and Apple are both probably being pretty close-lipped about this. Um, is that it was canceled because he wanted to do episodes on China and AI, and Apple wasn't comfortable with that. But I, but I, I looked into this a little bit, and it's based on a New York Times article where that's literally one sentence, and they don't expand on it at all, and I haven't seen much more discussion of this. It's also entirely possible that the, the, the problem with Jon Stewart on Apple was very disappointing to Apple and Jon Stewart. It did not, it, it had no weight. I'm like, reminded did you ever see a clip of- from this? Well, that's what I'm going to say. I'm reminded that there's certain things like there was a, a new a new newspaper launched in the UK maybe a couple of years ago and it just had to like <laughs> give up because it's almost like you can't launch a newspaper anymore. Newspapers can exist, but they have to be legacy. And I think it's yeah. very possible that these types of shows are in that category because like who's getting an Apple Plus subscription to watch news or comedy things? It's It feels like you need to be part of these big establishments and then slowly move along. You can't just create something new, but yeah, I've never seen anything from it. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, I watching it this morning. It was a surprisingly good show. Like they've get, they, he's got an episode of the. Well, m- Apple can just throw money at things. That's one thing about them. Well, it, it, to the in, until the point where it could plausibly be the slightest bit embarrassing. Um, I don't know what the hell was going on. Like there's this podcast episode. I I, I couldn't watch more than ten minutes of it where John Stewart is sitting there with. Hillary Clinton and Condoleezza Rice, like two of the architects of some of the worst foreign policy this country has ever had, um, and just sort of, oh, yeah, let, tell me what you think about the fall of democracy in the world or what have you. Yet the the episode on the military-industrial complex that he put out on the problem, like we could have done that, Rory. Like it was, I, I, I found nothing to disagree with on it. I thought it was brilliant. And I don't think anybody was watching, Rory. I think that's, I think that's. 
Yes. I think that's why he's gone back to The Daily Show is because... Yeah, where people will actually see him. And it's been successful. Millions upon millions have watched have watched those clips. Um, I do think it's... it's uh, Well, I guess we'll talk a little bit more about Tucker Carlson in the next uh, episode so we can leave him behind. What Tucker Carlson's been up to recently now he's not on TV. Indeed. Um, indeed. Indeed. Um, but uh, with Jon Stewart, it, it, I've watched both of the two episodes. Um, and the first, his first episode was honestly, I thought, kind of brilliant. Um, he basically was like saying something that uh, we've, we just don't say, you know, we've all been saying and thinking online, but just doesn't get said much in, in a studio format, which is that Joe Biden is too effing old. Um, you know, mm-hmm. he wasn't endorsing Trump or anything, but just simply laying out like, this is nuts. This and also is the insane. fact that Trump is what, three years younger? Like they're making it out like Trump is like 20 years younger when in reality they're, yeah. and the Here's, well, something I was considering is both of these men could die before this election. Like, it's not out of yep. the realm of possibility. Absolutely a possibility. Um, so, you know, he, he he referenced that. That was great. But I'd have to say in the second episode, um, he's, well, he did what we're going to do for our next episode, which was talk about, make jokes about Tucker Carlson going to uh, Russia. And it, it just... And even in his first episode, I was surprised. So the, the way that The Daily Show was organized, there's a longish monologue and then there's a longish interview. Um, and that's The Daily Show. It's, it's, a, you know, it's only a half hour, uh, 40 minutes or what have you. And his, his, in that first episode, his interview was with the editor in chief of The Economist magazine. Um, and she is, you know, The Economist is about as establishment as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, and it's also, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hyper, uh, hyper conservative in the U.S. Um, uh, parlance or old school. It's like old school rhino Republican. It's basically, it's, it's the most neoliberal, uh, thing that he could have done. Uh, you know, it's basically, uh. Uh, to interview and got got her on to talk about how nasty Russia was uh, mostly, and it's just it's just very very establishment stuff that John Stewart is is sort of churning out um, now that he's back on the Daily Show, and you know his his main monologue uh, for you know he, I guess there's only going to be what another thirty of these before the election, um, thirty weeks or something along I don't know where 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 we are um, you know and one of them was just. Tucker Carlson in Russia. He actually said at the beginning of the the monologue, wow, I got really pilloried for pointing out that Joe Biden is old. So I'm just going to trot out the the old, well, I hate Fox News media criticism. Yeah. And it's it just, and it, yeah, it just, I don't know. It, it, it seems like he's back to his old tricks again. It, well, it just seems kind of sad and it, it doesn't seem as sad as Tucker Carlson, but, uh, but it, uh, but it, it is kind of interesting to see these two media figures and the way that they've bounced off each other over the past 20 years. And and uh, they're both still trying to make it work in a, a largely dying medium. Um, but uh, I think it was worth discussing. And doing their best to support their parties. Indeed. I think it was worth discussing. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll catch you next time. Indeed. The More Freedom Foundation is also available on YouTube and TikTok. Rob's Twitter is Rob O'Law, and he's also written a book called Avoiding the British Empire, What It Was and How the US Can Do Better, and music provided by Kevin MacLeod.